I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching to you on Christmas and why it's so evil. It has nothing to do with Jesus. December the 25th was the birthday of Mithra, M-I-T-H-R-A, M-I-T-H-R-A. He was the son of the chief sun god in Rome. The chief sun god was Saturn. And Mithra was his son. Now, when you get into December the 21st, that's the longest nights of the year where the earth is on its axis, tilted away from the sun. And therefore... The pagans believed the sun was burning out because here in Middle Tennessee, the sun sets about, and it's all because the earth is tilted at 23 and a half degrees as it goes around the sun. When it's tilted away from the sun in the northern hemisphere in wintertime, the pagans thought the sun was burning out, so they wanted to have a feast to cause Saturn to bring his sun back. And the son was Mithra. His birthday was December the 25th. What they did, the pagans, what Constantine did, he just amalgamated uh, the sun worship into so-called Christianity. But it wasn't Christianity. It was Roman Catholicism. And uh, I've been telling you, I want to go into something with you. What's so bad about Christmas? What is really bad about it? I've got several tracks over here. One of them is What's So Bad About Christmas? And another one is called uh, Christmas. Whose birthday is it? It was the birthday of Mithra. And then i got another one that's... Uh, Saturnalia, the festival of Christmas. That was the feast of Saturn that lasted for seven days. Then I got one called the Mass of the Messiah. Christmas, the Math of the Messiah. The Mass of the Messiah. Mass is eating human flesh. Then I've got one called the Christmas tree. And I go into the culture and how it goes back to paganism. That's the very same tree called the grove that Israel worshipped. And then I got one on St. Nicholas. And I put all these into the newspaper in the late 80s and the early 90s. When I put this one on St. Nicholas in the paper, I called him a demon because he was distributing fortunes to the children. And they told me at the newspaper when I put it in there, they'd have to put a disclaimer on it. I said, good, I like disclaimers. That makes people look at it more. And they put a disclaimer on the St. Nicholas. I'd like to read to you what's so bad about Christmas. This is very informative. Here's what's so bad about Christmas. I wrote these about 30, 35 years ago. Here's what's so bad about Christmas. What I do in these, I put a verse up at the top, or maybe two verses. Then I put a, the English word and give you the Greek word and the definition. Then I've got the body of the article in this, on the bottom of it. Now here's the way this reads. 
the subject, what's so bad about Christmas? Luke 16 and 15 says, That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Does the world assume Christmas? Everybody likes it. They like it all over the world. We had a lady used to come here, and she worked in Thailand. She said it was Christmas year-round in Thailand. The Christmas decorations are everywhere all year long. So that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. The word abomination is B.D. E-L-U-G-M-A It means to stink. It means to stink in God's nostrils. Christmas stinks in the nostrils of God. And then I put in here 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Natural is the word sukikos. It it's our word physical. P S U C H I K O S. It means the man of the senses. He doesn't receive spiritual things, but he does receive Christmas. All men receive Christmas. Well, let me read the body to you. The pagan festival of Christmas is a tradition that is highly esteemed among the peoples of the world. You, you, these, these tracks over here are free. You can pick them up if you want. If it were of God, the world would look upon it as foolish. The gangster, the thief, the homosexual, the prostitute, the abortionist, all hate the word of God when he said, Thou shalt not. Yet they will party and involve themselves in the wickedest immoral acts while embracing the traditions of the Christ Mass. All evil men in the world love Christmas. It's the time of celebration to get drunk, break your wedding vows, and sleep around. Many who attend church regularly while refusing to live righteously keep it as their favorite festival and holiday. The business person who is unethical and immoral in business dealings at Christmas time will disavow their marriage in order to have a sexual encounter at a Christmas party while getting drunk, all in the name of Jesus' birth. It's a time of compromise for many who will call themselves, quote, Christian, unquote, setting aside, witnessing, calling men to repentance till January. Christian setting they set aside a witnessing. Playboy magazine has their Christmas issue while liquor stores decorate with wreaths and holiday cheer. Christians are commanded to separate from such ungodliness in Second Corinthians six fourteen through seventeen. What fellowship does light have with darkness or does Christ have with Belial? What concord, what symphonia, what symphony 
how can there be a blending between Christ and this heathenism? Celebrant stuff and glut themselves with material things and all kinds of delectable foods while the world is destitute and starving physically and spiritually. Christmas is a time when true believers are expected to sit down at a family gathering passing out free forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't free. When we say forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Bible says if your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And only if he for, if he repents, forgive him. You don't forgive people who don't repent. Forgiveness is never an initial act. It is always a response to repentance. Paul said that we are not to eat or communicate with brothers living in rebellion against God. You should never go to a Christmas gathering for the family, especially when you got in-laws there that are cussing and telling dirty jokes. We're not to partake or walk with these unfruitful works of darkness as they walk disorderly and not in the ways of God. 1 Corinthians 5 and 9. The Bible says we're not to fellowship with these people or to eat with them. Ephesians 5.11 would have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rebuke them. And 2 Thessalonians 3 and 6 and 14, we're not to walk with these people. We will be persecuted for this kind of testimony. The United States comprises approximately 4 I put 4.6%. It's reduced now. It's four and a quarter percent of the world's population. This minute segment of the world is partying and lulling themselves into an easy religion with no striving or wrestling over sin at the Christmas season. While the world is dying in starvation, squalor, and disease without Christ. To celebrate Christ is to honor Him. To honor Him is to keep His sayings in John fourteen twenty three. If we are if we are to honor Him, we will dispense with vain traditions like Christmas and Ishtar, Easter. We will get Christ out of the mass. He didn't belong in the mass. We will rid ourselves of this heathen festival of the mass Christ mass we will throw out the pagan birthday of Hercules December the 25th we will remember and celebrate Jesus birth every day and never will we separate it from the resurrection there is only one pure ritual and Christmas is a ritual it is not Christmas, Easter, or Valentine's. James tells us, James one twenty seven, pure religion. The word religion is the word threskia, T-H-R-E-S-K-E-I-A. It means ritual. There's only one pure ritual. Pure ritual and undefiled is not Christmas. It's not pagan. Pure religion and undefiled, uncontaminated is to visit the fatherless 
the Orphanos, O-R-P-H-A-N-O-S, O-R-P-H-A-N-O-S. That's the same word in John 14, where it said, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I'll not leave you comfortless. I won't leave you orphans to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. The word widow is Kira. C-H-E-I-R-A. This is James one twenty-seven. To visit the fatherless and the widow. The widow is the word Kira. It means one without a husband. That's the church without their husband, Jesus. He is... His wife is the church, the wife, the bride. One without a husband. In their affliction. Well, the vessel of wrath doesn't go through affliction. He may go through a hard time, but he doesn't go through this word, Thalibo. It's the same exact word as tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. That is men attacking us for what we're saying. So that's the that's the pure religion. There's no other pure religion. To visit the fathers and the widow in their affliction and keep yourself unspotted. That means holy without holy before God from the world Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, there in Matthew 25 and 20. This is the true ritual or religion with which we are to celebrate Jesus every day. All the things that man esteems, position, awards, money, titles, recognition, tradition, material things and the seeking of self is an abomination it stinks to God the only thing that honors Christ is seeking after a concern for others spiritual and physical and never self Philippians 2 4 through 5 1 Corinthians 10 24 the natural man who loves and highly esteems the traditions of the world always despises the atoning blood of Christ. They hold Jesus' words in contempt, refusing to live in daily repentance and submission to the commandment of God. Man will not cease from sin until God moves on his heart to live holy, unmixed, before him throughout the year. That's a powerful, powerful track, isn't it? I don't have time to read the others. Maybe I'll read them along the way. I'm talking about Christmas's heathenism. It's the Christ's mass. It was brought in the church by Constantine when they had the Nicene Council in 325 A.D. It, it is Roman Catholic, that's all it is, has nothing to do with Jesus. All right. I've got so many things to say. I was, I'm going to tell you about people's excuse. They use the Bible to excuse themselves for doing Christmas. 
I've got a paper. I read through the body of it about two weeks ago. This was the body of it. The True Story of Christmas is a paper that I wrote about 30 years ago, maybe 35. And I wrote this a long time ago, and I went through this. I'll be glad to give everybody a copy. We've got a stack of them down here. And... Uh, but I didn't go through the parts of the Bible that people use to say, well, the Bible says I can keep Christmas. No, it doesn't anywhere. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take you to the verses they use. Now, the Bible says in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you. Spoil sunagogeo means to lead into darkness or into captivity. That's the word spoil. I said it the other day. Spoil. S-U-L-A-G-O-G-E-O. Sulagogeo. Sulagogeo means to lead captive. And you will be led captive by philosophy, man's desire for his own wisdom, Vain, empty, deceit, aparte, vain, kenos means empty, deceit. Deceit is the word aparte, A-P-A-T-E. This is Colossians 2.8. I gave it to you last time. The vain deceit after the traditions of man. Paradosis is the word tradition. A tradition is something without, it has no origin in truth. No origin. It's something that's just passed down. It's imagined it to start with, and it's passed down from one generation to the next. That's all Christmas is. They did not celebrate birthdays in the early church. Let me give you one verse. Ecclesiastes. Look at Ecclesiastes. 7 and verse 1 7 and 1 now this tells you that that birthdays are not important and shouldn't be celebrated 7 and 1 Ecclesiastes a good name is better than precious ornament and the day of death than the day of one's birth so the only thing we should celebrate is the ongoing of God's elect family to beat into heaven with them. We don't need to be celebrating birthdays. In the track that I did on Christmas, whose birthday is it? I tell you, there's two birthdays mentioned in the Bible, two. That's it. There was Herod's and Pharaoh's. At Pharaoh's birthday, over in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that they hung Pharaoh's baker. And then at Herod's birthday, it was Salome said, I want John the Baptist's head on a charger. They cut off John the Baptist's head on Pharaoh's birthday. I mean, excuse me, on Herod's birthday. Whose head you going to cut off and who you going to hang on your birthday? Now, the Bible says, the Bible says, in Colossians 2.8 that you'll be led away captive keeping these traditions and the 
and the arrangement of men, what men have come up with. And then we got into we got into Leviticus 18 where the Lord said, Keep mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable stinking customs of the pagans. We have no business doing that as believers. And then I went into First Second Corinthians 6 and 17 where God says, Come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Christmas is unclean. You cannot just simply change the name of something and it will be okay. If You, you can't take... Uh, they've had a lot of serial killers. You cannot... Uh, take uh, a serial killer like Jeffrey Dahmer and say, well, we're going to change your name, let you out of prison. If we change your name and call you Sam Smith, you won't kill anybody anymore, will you? He's still Jeffrey Dahmer. And you cannot take the festival of Saturn or the Saturnalia and rename it Christ Mass and it will be okay with God. It's not okay. That's all they did. They took the Feast of Saturn and they took Christ Mass. And they dropped one of the S's, pulled the words together, called it Christmas, and says it's the birthday of Jesus. has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. The amazing thing about Christmas, when it was called the Feast of Saturn, it was an orgy. An orgy is where they have sexual promiscuity in the streets, men with men, women with women, men and women with animals. They did anything they wanted to do. That's what Christmas was about. We have to come out and be separate. Now I'm going to continue reading this paper here. Jeremiah 10 tells us about the Christmas tree. Jeremiah 10, verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen. The word way, that's talking about the broad way where you can do anything you want. Christmas is the broad way where you can do what you want and you can call it another name. I've said this before. If you're a man, let's say you were real wild in your living and your younger days and you had this harlot that you're always visiting and she was a paid whore. And you can't take her picture and put it on your top of your TV. And your wife says, who is that? And you say, well, that's a missionary I used to work with. You can't make her a missionary simply by changing her name. You can't do that. Now, the Bible says in Jeremiah 10, learn not the way of the heathen. The word way is the word D-E-R-E-K. We get the word direction from that. Every time you find that word way in the Old Testament, it is direct. And then in the New Testament, when they translated that in the Septuagint, they translated it into the word hodos. Hodos. 
And we know that the hodos is the direct because the Bible says, the Bible says in, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, that Christ is coming and he says, prepare. This is in the Hebrew. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight. Make straight. A way in the desert for our Lord. That word way in the Hebrew is direct. You can match that up with Mark 1. 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel. Of the gospel. Is prepare. Ye. The. Way. And it says, as it was written in the prophets, written in the prophets. Let me show you how you mathematically make this word direct. That it's the same word over here, prepare you the way, as written in the prophets. Well, one prophet that said it was Isaiah. Then when you look over at Luke 3 and 3, the Bible says, John came preaching the baptism of repentance. These three verses here will prove several things. Prepare, John came preaching the baptism, preaching baptism of repentance which was as it was written it says as it is written in the book of it says Esaias that is the way you translate the word Isaiah as it was written in the book of Isaiah and then it says prepare ye the way hodos so this was written in the book of Isaiah and this is where it is over here in Isaiah the the 40th chapter so this way direct is the same as the gospel or prepare you the way. This is equal to this and this word is direct and this word here is hodos. So hodos equals direct equals hodos. And they're all equal to the gospel 
and they're equal to prepare you the way. They're equal to the baptism of repentance. It has to be a blood baptism, and that is death to self. So you can use these three verses here to prove that direct is the hodos, and that baptism is blood. A baptism was a death or a martyrdom. Now, let's continue with this paper here. And then he says, let's read this in Jeremiah 10. This describes the Christmas tree to the T. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the hodos, direct, of the heathen. And the, the way is narrow. That's the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo, L-I-B-O. That's the same word I was talking about earlier when I was talking about the narrow way is the only true ritual. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Oh, excuse me. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Don't do what they do. For the customs of the people are vain. Hebo. Christmas is Hebo. It's worthless. What gets me is Christians want to be a part of something that's heathen. What's so bad about Christmas? Well, everybody likes it for one thing. And all the people are getting drunk. Why would a little group of Christians want to be a part of something that was instituted to be evil and it was for partying and getting drunk and doing all kind of sexual uh, misbehaving? Why does Christians want to be a part of that? It's something you should not want to do at all. People say, don't you believe in taking a day off for Jesus? I don't ever take a day off. I'm always witnessing every day for the Lord. I carry DVDs in my pocket. I carry about seven or eight DVDs. And through the day, I'm giving them to somebody that I'm talking to about truth. I say, here, listen to this. Watch this. I don't take a day off. Then he goes on to say, For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. This is what Isaiah or Jeremiah 10 is saying. The tree they cut out of the forest was the grove. The grove was the tree goddess and she was always represented by the moon. When you see the crescent moon over there in the far east, that is the moon goddess. Or it is a what you call a morphodite, which would be male and female. Sometimes it was male. When it was male, it was Allah. That's what it was. Then it goes on to say, For the customs of the people of vain, one cuts a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. How can you get around that? They always worship the tree in the form of the triangle. 
the Bible goes on to say they put it on a platform. They deck it with silver and with gold garlands, except they used real gold and real silver then. Lars Nineveh said because it was worshipped in the stars, they put a star on top. I don't know what that looks like to you, but it looks like a Christmas tree to me. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers because it can't move on its own because it moves not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They need to be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of the Christmas tree, goddess, grove. For they cannot do evil, neither also it is in them to do good. The Christmas tree, the grove goddess of Babylon, cannot move or speak. When a man makes his own idol, he puts his words in the mouth of his gods, and actually he worships himself. This is something that man invented. It wasn't something that was real or was there. It's not real. It's a false god. Paul said that covetous man is an idolater. Now, people say, well, why do you have the gifts under the tree? The ancient people said the tree was the giver of all the gifts to man. They said that they had this feast of Saturn from the 17th to the 25th, um, excuse me, the 24th of December, and they actually... The next morning, the 25th, they actually threw the Yule log on the 24th. Yule means wheel. And that's the swastika, whether anybody likes it or not. And they threw it into the fire on the 20, and the 25th, it sprung out in the form of a tree. And they said the tree was the giver of all divine gifts to men. What was in the tree? The Bible says, John says in 1 John 2.22 that, not 2.22, 2.16, excuse me. I'm always quoting 2.22, 2.16. All... That's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. When God put the tree in the middle of the garden, this is the gifts under the tree. I hear. Lust is the word epithumia, E-P-I-T-H-U-M-I-A. It means to long for that which is forbidden. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride is the word A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. Alexania means self-esteem. That means to esteem oneself. Do you know that the only reason people have Christmas is they want these gifts under the tree? That's the whole idea in it. They like the gifts, 
And God put the tree in the middle of the garden and said, you cannot eat of that tree. You can't eat of it, but you can eat of all the other trees out here. What was in the trees exactly what John described in 1 John 2.16. Eve saw the tree that was good for food. Good for food. It was pleasant to the eye. To eye. And it would make her wise. She saw three things in the tree. The same thing, three things John speaks of in 1 John 2.16. It was the lust of the eye. It was good for food. The lust, the lust of the flesh. It was good for food. The lust of the eye. Pleasant to the eye. And the pride of life. It would make her wise and she could esteem herself. That's what that tree is about. It's not a Christmas tree. Well, it is a Christmas tree, but it's not a tree about Jesus. You know what people say about the tree? Oh, that was a cross he's crucified on. You're an idiot, too. It was a God. Now, let me finish reading this paper. Paul said a covetous man is an idolater. That's all in this paper. You can have a copy of it. A covetous man is an idolater, and covetousness is idolatry. This is in Ephesians 5 and 5 and Colossians 3 and 5. Ephesians 5 and 5. Colossians 3 and 5. Covetousness Pleonectes, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S. Covetous, that's what idolatry is. Covetous means to want more. To such a degree you'll do anything to get it. You'll be devious or underhanded. That's wanting everything that's in the world. Is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. And the pride of life. You say, Jim, how do you get over that? Well, you don't. God has to get you over it. God has really done a work in my life where I don't want those things anymore. I don't care about material things. What is my greatest desire in life is to get the truth to all the world that I can. I don't really care any to any degree about my house or my cars or my flesh. I just don't care nothing about it. I don't get to keep it very long. I don't get to keep anything I've got over another 10 years if I live that long. I'll be 92 in 10 years. Why would I be sitting around worrying about my stuff? I won't. I don't care about it. It is of no interest to me. That's why the way you get over self, what you're getting over is the outer man. The outer man wants everything he can have. When you're young, you got two men in you. you got Christ in you when you're a believer. That's the hope of glory. That's the new birth. And you serve the law of God by that law of God. And then you got the outer man. 
outer man that serves the flesh. And when you come to the knowledge of Christ and you're a newly born believer, most of what you got in you is this fleshly man. And Christ in you has to work on that man with trials, persecution, affliction, tribulation. And if He'll work on you long enough, and He will if you live long enough, you'll get to where you're just not interested in the fleshly things. He will actually burn out all that outer man in you. And when you get old like me, you don't really care about the flesh. I have no dreams. I used to have dreams when I was young of being a world-famous tenor singer. Because, boy, I had a big voice back then. And I could knock the walls out of a building. And I don't care about that at all. What God had to do, He had to give me chronic bronchial asthma and take my voice away. And I don't care nothing about it. You know why you want to sing? Because you can. That's the only reason. Because you can. The only reason you have musical ability or reason you want to hit a ball or throw a football is because you're good at it. But if you wasn't good at it, you don't want to do it. If you're not good at it, you don't say, I'll practice till I get real good. And you're clumsy and you fumble all the time. You're never going to get good at it. I was really good in business. I was the top salesman at the, out of 30 agents that I w- went to uh, this real estate company in Hendersonville. I was the top agent the first year. I sold several million dollars in houses. That's when houses sold for forty nine ninety five. Fifty nine ninety five was a nice house. A fifty nine ninety five house in nineteen eighty is one that would sell for two hundred and fifty now or two eighty. But I was selling millions of dollars in these forty and fifty thousand dollar houses. And I can't. I got to where I couldn't do that. I got real sick, ended up in the hospital. The way God will stop you from wanting that outer man, He'll deal with your health. Well, all you can think about is the Lord and what you can do for Him. That's what He'll do. And the longer you live, that inner man will take over. You're going to find the story of this inner and outer man in Romans 7. You'll find it in Colossians 3. Colossians 3. You'll find it in 2 Corinthians. The fourth chapter, he'll keep saying, put on the inner man. And you'll find it in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and some other places. These are talking about the inner and the outer man. And you have to, in order to... Get rid of that desire for self, that outer man. God's either going to have to make you sick, you're going to have to lose your ability. If you're a real good pitcher, let's say in baseball, God may cut your hand off, your arm off, and say, no, you can't do that now. What are you going to do? Serve me? That's the way God works. He doesn't care about these bodies we live in. He cares about our souls. We're not to fear Him that could destroy the body. We're to fear Him that could destroy both soul and body in hell forever. I'm reading to you this paper I did on Christmas at Christmas. 
Now, God is going to call His people out of Babylon in Revelation 18 and 4. Come out of her, my people, that ye may be not partaker of her plagues and of her judgments. Why are you going to partake of God's judgments? The same thing He said in Second John in Second John 10. If anyone comes preaching any other doctrine like Christ's Mass or Ishtar, most people don't know this. In the ancient world, in different cultures, Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's, Mardi Gras, and Easter were all the same thing in different cultures in the ancient world. They were the same thing. It was a worship of the sun and the moon. And they were drunken festivals. We know that that Mardi Gras is a seven-day festival, and it was drunk. Well, what do you think they have in New Orleans, Mardi Gras? It's a drunken homosexuals, lesbians, all kinds of illicit sex, all kinds of partying for seven days. The same thing with Christmas or the Feast of Saturn was seven days. They had a king of Christmas, of the Feast of Saturn. They had a king of the Mardi Gras and they both had to die at the end of the Saturnalia and at the end, end of Mardi Gras. It's the same thing. If you're going to celebrate Christmas, why not just do Mardi Gras in the middle of, at the end of December? Just get a bunch of women at your house, a bunch of men, strip them all down naked and just say, we're going to have a wild time and we're going to do it in the name of Jesus. That's what they're doing. Now, let me finish this. I put this in the paper. Jesus is truly born of a virgin. He is God in the flesh. We're not called to a season of worship with Him. We don't worship Him in a season. We worship Him all year long. We're to be instant in season and out of season. In season is the word eucharos. Out of season, that means well timing. Out of season is the word akaros, A K A I R O S. The alpha privative negates that. It means no season at all. That's when you're supposed to be instant. When there's not a convenient time to say something about Jesus, say it. I talk about him all the time. I never do get hard with people. I just say, well, the Bible says I had a lady scream at me one time down here on a parking lot. She saw a t-shirt I had, God does not love everybody. She said, well, I think God loves everybody. I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. I don't want to hear it. I said, the Bible says God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either were born, before either had done any good or evil. I said it just like that. I didn't get mad at her. She said, I still think God loves everybody. I said, okay, well, that's your privilege. And I walked away. I told her the truth. 
I bet other people get mad. I had a girl down here at the at the veterinarian. She said, weren't you that guy that came in here a couple of weeks ago and you had on a shirt that says God does not love everybody? I said, that was me because he doesn't love everybody. The Bible says over here, and she went, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> she did just like that. La, 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 la. That I told her, she got her hands, fingers out of her ears. She said, and I said, you're ignorant. She said, you don't have to insult me. I said, ma'am, that's not an insult. I said, ignorant is a Greek word that means unlearned. You just don't know anything. She went, and I saw her every time I went in, and I know that she talked to the vet, and the vet told everybody how smart Jim Brown was in the Bible. <laughs> so he, she worked for him. And I'm sure that he told her, well, he knows a lot about what he's talking about. That was the funniest thing I ever got. I don't want to hear it. Well, a lot of people say, I don't want to hear what you got to say because I'll be responsible. I say, you already are responsible. You know I've got something to say that's going to hurt you. And you're trying to hide from it. So you're responsible for it, whether you like it or not. Now, let me finish this paper. We're to be instant in season, out of season, in 2 Timothy 4 and 2. Eucharist, well timing, no timing. <coughs> when it is not convenient, the world is not speaking of Christ. We're told to preach the word. We seldom mention his virgin birth until the Saturnalia and its festival as we align with the unbelieving people at the birthday of Adonis or Mithra. And they all had the same birthday. Attempting to give homage to the God of the universe with evil traditions. We should celebrate his virgin birth death, burial, and resurrection every day. We should do it keeping His commandments daily and doing the things that are pleasing Him continually. We cannot separate His birth from His death. We are certainly commanded never to pollute the worship of our Lord in Christ with man's traditions. Some will say, Didn't Paul say in Romans 17 that every man should be persuaded in his own mind the day in which he should worship the Lord? That's right. Let's go over to Romans 14. I'm going to give you two chapters and two verses where people use excuse that they get to keep Christmas. You have to understand what's going on in Romans 14. In Romans 14, if you look at the first part of the chapter, this is the this is one of the excuses that people give and say, "I can celebrate Christmas." Here's Romans 14, verse one: "Him that is weak in the faith, receive you." but not to doubtful disputations. Don't dispute with somebody when they're weak in the faith. It's talking about believers who are weak. 
For one believeth that he may eat all things. Now he's talking about the Jews at Rome who think they have to keep the dietary laws of the Jews that's found over there in Leviticus. And one believeth that he may eat all things. Another is weak and eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. If somebody says, I'm not going to eat any meat, I say, that's fine. What they're doing is keeping Jewish laws here. They're not keeping paganism. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. He's talking about believers. And they're talking about keeping... There was a problem at Rome. It was a polemic problem. What do you mean polemic? Polemic comes from the word pole. P-O-L-E. There was a polemic problem. You have on a battery, you got a positive pole and a negative pole. That was a separation. At Rome, and if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the book of Romans. There was a polemic problem between the Jews who were believers and Gentiles who were believers. The Jews thought they were a little bit better than the Gentiles because God had come to them over here in the Old Testament. Paul begins to clear that up in Romans, the third chapter. And you can't really study the 14th chapter until you understand something going on in Romans the 4th chapter and he says in well actually this starts in the 3rd chapter what advantage then is the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision much every way chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God or the law in the Old Testament for what if some did not believe shall their belief make the faith of God without effect and he's talking about there's a separation between Jew and Gentile but he says in verse 9 what then are we better than they are we Jews better than the Gentiles what he's saying since he was a Jew no and no wise for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin Jews and Gentiles so they're trying to separate themselves all through this book. In the previous chapter, in the previous second chapter, he says, he says over there, for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law themselves. So he said, when you know better than what you do, it's sin. Then he says over here, in chapter 3 verse 9 when he says are we better than they are the Jews better than the Gentiles no not in no wise for we have have we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are under sin and then he says as it is written there is none righteous no not one now you cannot use this to interpret babies he's not talking about babies he's talking about Jew and Gentile adults in the world they're all under sin so you can't come up and people will say well all have sinned so babies have sinned that's not the context of this 
but it holds true throughout the book of Romans to understand Romans. To understand the 14th chapter, you go back over to the 14th chapter and some of the Jews are eating herbs and they're eating, trying to eat according to the law. God says, that's okay not to eat swine, not to eat pork or bacon. It's okay or ham. It's okay. They're simply going by the ritual laws. They will learn in time. So everything that you have differing in the 14th chapter, it's about the Jews kind of lifting themselves up above the Gentile Christians. They're all Christians. Then he says, verse 3 of chapter 14, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. He's talking about whether he's eating eating lentils or eating vegetables or eating meat. Then he says in the next verse, and it leads to that verse where everybody says, See, it says you can uh, keep Christmas if you want to. It doesn't say that. It's talking about the Jews in Rome who think they're a little better and they're keeping all the Jewish laws and there's nothing wrong with that, but you can't use that as your method of salvation. Who art thou? Verse 4. That judgest another man's servant. To his own master he standeth or falleth because they're all Christians. He's talking about all being Christians. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall he shall be holden up or held up for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. This has nothing to do with Christmas. By this time, the Gentiles were worshiping on, were worshiping God on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Jesus rose on the first day, and the Jews are still meeting on the seventh day, which they call the Sabbath. That's okay. They're weak, he says. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind which day of the week he'll serve God. It's not talking about whether God gives him a choice between paganism or righteousness. He's not. That's not what this is about. And people use this to say, see, you can choose which day you want to keep Christmas or not. They're ignorant. You have to know the whole book of Romans to understand it was a polemic situation. They were polarized. And Paul is always jumping the Jews for thinking they're better because they're all believers in Jesus Christ. Without understanding that, you're not going to understand the book of Romans at all. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. You can't regard Christmas unto the Lord. It's paganism. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not. So he's mixing the eating and the day you go serve God with what you're eating. If you're eating according to the Jewish dietary laws. And to the Lord he eateth not and giveth thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Well, he goes on later down in the chapter. He says in verse 13, Let us not therefore judge 
one another any more. But judge this, that no man put a stumbling block, a scandal on, or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. He's saying, you're not supposed to be putting Christmas in this at all. This is just simply when the Jews are saying we'll worship God on the Sabbath on Saturday, that's okay. Or we'll worship God on Sunday like the Gentiles are doing, which is the first day of the week, the day that He rose from the dead. He's talking about whether you allow the Jews to do... All of the law was good. Even the dietary law was good. Even when Leviticus would tell us they separated from somebody who had uh, disease for a short period of time to tell whether it was something that was catching. Now, that whole chapter is about that. It's not about whether you can keep Christmas or do righteousness. It's not about that. And now let's go over to Colossians. They use this chapter. These are the chapters that people use. How much time do I have, Mike? 32. All right. All right. Now, let's go to Colossians, the second chapter. They use this chapter to try to back up Romans 14 where they completely misinterpret it. Now, if you'll notice, Colossia was a Gentile church. Colossia was... See if I can find it here. All right, on the end of Turkey, you're talking about Turkey is what they called Asia Minor. I'll get it here in a minute. Asia Minor. Well, let's get back to this other one. This is Asia Minor here. That's what they called Asia. That's the western end of Turkey. Right up here, you remember Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. That was what the book of Galatians was written to. This was Galatia, right in here, or Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Lystra's where they stoned Paul and left him for dead outside of Lystra, went on down to Derby, and then he turned around and went back to Iconium, back to Antioch. It all came, all of his problems in Galatia, which it was a state, most of the books were written to cities. The book of Galatia was written to all these people. It was a state. And uh, it was the Jews at Antioch that got upset at him in the 14th chapter of Acts that followed him over to Iconium and had the people of Iconium run him out of town down to Lystra. It was the same Pharisees that came down to Lystra and convinced the Pharisees to convince the people. The people accepted him. But it was 
the Pharisees followed him all the way down to Lystra. They followed him to Iconium, got them to throw him out of the city. Followed him down to Lystra and had them take him outside of a city and stone him and leave him for dead. Like I said, stoning didn't mean to throw rocks at him. They took you up on a high precipice, which is a cliff. They'd throw you down maybe 20, 30 feet. If it didn't break your neck and kill you, then they'd come down and throw big boulders on you, maybe 25, 30 pounds. That was stoning. It wasn't just throwing little rocks at them. Because stoning would kill you. And so Western Turkey, these were the, you had the, Seven churches of Asia. You had Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. You had Laodicea. Colossia was not one of the seven churches. Colossia was a gen. It was a Gentile church. Every one of these are Gentile churches. So when Paul wrote to them, he was writing to them as Gentiles. And then he would say to Rome. He said to Rome. Here's Rome up here. He said to Rome, circumcision is not outwardly, but it's of the heart. And a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. So he was telling them, you don't have to be in Israel down here to be a Jew. God can circumcise your heart. He's telling the same things to the people at Corinth and at Colossia. Now they're trying to, People are trying to argue in the second chapter of Colossians that what they were doing, that he was telling them, don't let any man judge you. And a holy day, Christmas wasn't a holy day. Now, let's read some here. So he tells them, the Colossians, on the western end of Turkey, Jews were only people that were born and raised in Israel. That were Jews. If you wanted to become a proselyte of the gate, if you were coming from Colossia, say, and you wanted to come down to Israel to become a member of the Jewish congregation, you had to give up all your money, you had to give up all your property, you had to just swear off of any allegiance you had to Colossia, come down here, and you had to do three things. You had to be circumcised, washed in water, and offer two turtle doves at the temple. That made you a naturalized citizen of Israel. That's why Jesus was washed in water, because he was raised in Nazareth, but he was born in Judea in Bethlehem. But the Pharisees kept calling him a, a Samaritan. Samaria was northern Israel. They hated northern Israel because it had been mixed with Assyrians when they came in to carry northern Israel away. Well, let's look at this right here. So he says to these, these Colossians, Colossia was said to be overrun with Essenes. Essenes was one of the was one of the orders of the Jews. You had Essenes. Essenes were very strict people. They only ate a handful of of uh, 
lentils a day. They deprive themselves. They, they believe that in all material things, everything was evil, that material things was evil. So they had very few properties, and they, they believed that, they believed that this was the method of becoming an Israelite circumcision, washing in water, that they called a new birth and offering two turtle doves. Well, he says here in, a, in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. And then he says, then he says, speaking of Christ, and ye are complete, it says in verse 9, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelt the fullness of God in his body. And you are complete. The word complete, pleroma, means repletion. It's full. In him. You are complete in him, which is the head of principality and power. And whom also you are circumcised. Now notice this. He's talking to a Colossian Gentile church. If they want to come to Israel and become a member of the kingdom of God before Jesus died, they'd have to go through that three process. Go through circumcision, washing in water. That was the order. They thought water would hurt the circumcision, so they said... We have to circumcise the man, and then as soon as that is well, then we'll wash him in water. They didn't know that water wouldn't hurt the wound. And then they had to offer two turtle doves. So he tells the Colossian church, you're circumcised, verse 11, with a circumcision that's made without hands, putting off the body of sins, of the flesh, that's the outward man, by the circumcision of Christ. Christ takes a long time to get rid of that outer man. He's got rid of most of it in me because I'm old, I'm wild, I've been through, as the old saying goes, I've been to hell and back so many times I can't count. Buried with him in baptism. Boy, that really, if you look up Tomb in McLennigan Straw. T-O-M-B. They will tell you they did not bury people in the ground in Israel. Not if they could help it. They put them in a tomb. So buried with him in baptism would have been alien to the Jew to see a man dip downward in water. It's not what it means. Buried with him in Buried with him in baptism, it'd have to be sideways into a tomb. It's not talking about literal burial, it's talking about spiritual burial. Also, you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's telling the Colossian Jews, you were dead in sin 
and you haven't been circumcised in the flesh. But in verse 11, he said, you've been circumcised with a spiritual circumcision that's without hands. It's a spiritual circumcision. Verse 13, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh as people at Colossia, hath he quickened together. So he's made you alive. Quicken. Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. What he's saying here is the rituals don't count anymore. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he made alive together with him and he's forgiven you all trespasses even though you've never been washed in literal water even though you've never been literally circumcised blotting out here's the whole thing blotting out the handwriting of ordinances the ordinances was the rituals He's telling the Colossians, you don't have to keep the law anymore. The law is here, but you don't have to keep the rituals of the law anymore. Because he says, blotting out the rituals, the ordinances, the dogma, ordinance. And he just got through saying, if you'll notice, he just got through talking about a spiritual baptism and a spiritual circumcision. So the literal circumcision has been blotted out and the literal baptism has been blotted out. And if he had been talking to them before Jesus died, before he's nailed to the cross, they would have had to come over here and gone through a literal circumcision and a literal washing in water. That's why he said, you don't have to do that anymore. It's not required anymore. Having spoiled principalities and powers, all the powers of ritual has been blotted out. Then he says, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over all the rituals of the law. He's talking about rituals of the law. Let no man therefore judge you in meat. He's talking about the rituals of the of the Jews and their dietary laws over in the eleventh chapter of Leviticus. You don't have to be concerned about clean and unclean animals anymore. A clean animal parted the hoof and chewed the cud. A camel had the parted hoof but did not chew the cud. So he was unclean. Then he says, in meat or in drink or respect of any holy days. He's not saying, don't let a man judge you in respect of Christmas. He's talking about Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Ingathering, which is coupled with the Day of Atonement. Because atonement has the same meaning as baptism. It means to cover with a stain or die. Stain or die. So don't let any man judge you in these rituals of the Jews. He's not talking about, don't let any man judge you and tell you you can't keep Christmas. This has nothing to do with this chapter. 
or drink or respect of the holy day or of a new moon. We know that's Jewish. They had a new moon festival. Nisan first. Nisan was their first month of their calendar year. It came in March, April. At the first of the month, for seven straight months, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seventh month was Tishri. That was where they had the Day of Atonement. And that's where they had the Feast of Ingathering, which is the same thing as the Feast of Huts, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Don't let any man tell you that you have to keep these Jewish feasts. At the beginning of every one of those months, they would have a trumpet, a trumpet, seven trumpets. Nisan was March, April at the beginning of the harvest. Beginning of harvest for seven straight months up until September, October, which was the end of the harvest. That's where they'd bring in the crops, get everything fixed and settled, and get ready for winter. Winter is where all the pagans celebrated their gods at Halloween and then uh, the Feast of Saturn and and Valentine's and... Mardi Gras and Ishtar. So he said, don't let any man tell you you have to keep these feasts. They had a, they would sound a trumpet and they would call that a new moon festival. When he says here, don't let any man judge you according to new moons, he says, don't let people tell you you got to keep those festivals of the Jews has nothing to do with don't let a man judge you until you can't keep Christmas you're ignorant if you think it means that then he says nor of Sabbath days not of new moons nor of Sabbath days don't let anybody tell you you have to keep there wasn't one Sabbath there were many Sabbaths the Sabbath would be on Nisan 14. That was Nisan 14. That would be Passover, and the next day would be the first day of unleavened bread. And that was a Sabbath. Seven days later, that would be a Sabbath. And every one of the holy days were Sabbaths. Don't let anybody tell you you've got to keep the Sabbath days of the Jews any longer. It has Christmas. Throw that out of here. That has no business in this chapter. And then he says, they were all a shadow. They were a skia, a shade of the real Passover. The real Passover, Jesus, they had four items at the Passover. Jesus is the spiritual Lamb of God. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians the fifth chapter he's our Passover lamb there were four cups 
And the third cup was called the cup of blessing. That was an official term. This is the real Passover here. Cup of blessing to drink a cup meant to undergo a death. Jesus asked James and John, can you drink the cup that I drink of? Cup of blessing. And he tells us what that is. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ to drink of a cup meant to undergo a death? And then they had unleavened bread for seven days and and first Corinthians ten seventeen says we being many are one bread and one body. We're one bread and one body and the body's the church and we partake of the church, the body, the bread. So all of these 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 holy days are now spiritual. The first fruits, feast of first fruits. The first fruits are the first crops that came in as Nisan or March, April came in. That was the first fruits. Fifty days later, the Bible says at the feast of first fruits, Paul said, of his own will begat he us that we might be a kind of first fruits. That's us. All of this is now spiritual. It's not talking about, don't judge me about Christmas. You don't even know what this book is about. And then he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. So he's got two things in there. And he's saying the body is the second, is the third thing in this because the body dies daily and it's the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice. Instead of the two turtle doves, it's the church that dies. Every one of these things. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The third cup is the cup of blessing. That's us. We meeting are one bread and one body. And the fourth item is bitter herbs. God told Israel, if you're, if you're disobedient to me, I'll make you drink bitter herbs or wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter herb. You can go down to a health store and get some. It's supposed to purify your blood. But it's not that. The wormwood is the bitter herbs that we go through in life. So all of the, all the rituals are spiritual. You can't use this chapter to say, don't judge me if we're doing Christmas has nothing to do with that. And then he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward. And a voluntary humility. Humility is not voluntarily. You can't volunteer to humble yourself. Humble. Tepanua. T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Tepanua. Humble yourself under the hand of God is an imperative command. Everybody that's a believer will humble under the hand of God. What is God's hand? The Bible says, David said, Deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword in thy hand. 
even Job went to God and or Satan went before God and said, Have you considered my servant Job? Job and Satan said, Well no wonder he serves you. You've put a hedge around him, you've given him everything he wanted. And he said, Turn him over to me and to my hand, and I'll make him curse you. God says he's in your hand, but you can't touch his body or his life. Do you understand? He said, Yes, sir. So the hand of God is evil man. And when we're told to humble, it's not a voluntary humility. You won't bow to God on your own. You just will not. He has to crush you. That's what Jesus said I came to. He said I came to the broken order, to the bruised, to the crushed. And Luke 4.18 And worshiping of angels. This is talking about heavenly angels here. People say, I saw an angel. No, you didn't. Intruding those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That's People say, I've seen angels, I saw God, I saw Jesus. Jesus said, nobody's seeing me. That doesn't happen in this life. So these two chapters, chapter 2 of Colossians, chapter 14 of Romans, those are the verses that people used to say, don't judge me in doing Christmas. Has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Let me see if I can finish this paper. Do I have any time, Mike? Eight. Eight minutes. I don't know if I can finish all this, but this is a paper that it did on Christmas. Some will say, didn't Paul say in Romans 14 that every man should be persuaded in his own mind which day he should worship the Lord? It certainly does. However, it is speaking about which day of the week or month we assemble to worship the Lord. He is not speaking whether we should give, whether we should use evil ways of men in opposition to the good ways of God to worship Christ. Paul is not giving us a choice between good and evil. Paul is merely speaking of which day of the week. He is not giving us a choice between good and evil methods with which to worship Christ. I realize that Christmas is the most difficult of traditions to give up. Have you ever noticed when you quit doing it, you've never been so relieved in your life? Such a relief. You don't have to argue with some family member. All the family knows that they won't be here. Jim won't be here. Susan won't be here. So they just accept it after a while. Men should give up all uncleanness to please God. When a man begins to repent of self, he will be looking into his life daily, saying, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, and if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, cleanse me and make me holy. Holy is a word in the Greek, hagios. It means to be one single in substance. That substance, according to the Word of God, is not opinions of man. Holy is to be unmixed. Hagios means unmixed from the world and its tradition. The enchanting, good-feeling, easy gospel of Christmas 
is impossible for men to see in all of its evil unless God convicts his heart. Men continue in their sin flirting with the scourge and the chastisement of God in Hebrews 12. He scourges every sin he receives so we can be partakers of his holiness. Jesus said in Luke 14.26, If any man will come after me and hate not his father, mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. We are to hate sin. Our mother, father, brothers, sisters are sin. If we love anything at all in them, it will be Christ in them. What Jesus is saying is that we must hate all that that they are and teach that is not Christ within them. Otherwise, we cannot be his disciple. The word disciple is the Greek word mathetes, meaning a learner or a scholar. It is where we get our word mathematics. If you are going to learn math, you must go by the rules of the math book. Opinions and traditions are of no consequence. If you are to learn trigonometry, you must learn and apply the Pythagorean theorem, whether you know it or not. That's everything that trigonometry is about. It's about right triangles. That's it. What do I need to know about right triangles? Well, if you're going to be a pilot, if you're going to build a roof on a house... going to be a that's trigonometry right there that's everything that it is that's called the hypotenuse right here it's opposite the 90 degree angle 90 degree if you're in a plane going at a certain speed and you know the end of the the landing field is here you got to know the, how high you are if you're 5,000 feet. you got to know the angle. You have to go down and hit that runway. you got to know how to reduce your speed, yet not go below the speed to keep the plane in the air in order to come down and hit that. Now, you don't have to do that nowadays, but the pilots had to do that when they first started flying planes. They usually programmed that into... so. If you're building a roof on a house, you got to know what the angle is there. So if you're on the top of the roof, that has to do with trigonometry, Pythagorean theorem. And that's the fact. It's the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the square roots of both sides. And that's very important to be a pilot. If you ask a pilot back when they had to do figure the angle of descent, do you know anything about the Pythagorean theorem? He said, no, I don't. Well, I don't want to fly with you. Anyway. So, if you are to learn trigonometry, you have to learn the Pythagorean theorem. One must apply all axioms and postulates. Every time you find the word worthy in the Greek, it's the word axios. 
comes from word we get our word axiom from that. An axiom is a is a mathematical law that you have to go by. When I say things equal to the same thing or equal to each other, that's an axiom in algebra. Christian believers will not give up unholy traditions because they are proud of their heritage. Their mother and father did it. Their father and mother are sweet, gentle Christians and they believe these traditions. Their pastor is a good guy and has a great personality and disposition. He thinks these things are all right. And I put quotations around thinks. The ancient fire god was called Bol Kahan or Belkan. It was called Vulcan, which was a variation of that. Baal Kahan is priest of Baal. Baal Kahan. It evolved into Vulcan. Evolved into that. And Vulcan devoured his children as soon as they were born. That's what you call cannibalism. And that's what the mass is it's eating the literal body of Christ it's their imagination because they're not doing that as the fire god Nimrod was called Volkan or Vulcan he truly made himself a name he was truly the king or mighty one before the earth he was the mighty hunter of men Christmas is cannibalism as the pontiff of Rome offers up the Mass, the wafer, as the incarnate Savior and Messiah Mass from from ancient Babylon. The literal flesh was said to be present as the host came down from heaven and the liturgy of the Mass took place. Alexander Hizl, one of the foremost authorities on pagan worship tells us that in order to conciliate the heathen and swell the number of nominal inherits of Christianity, the same festival, uh, the Feast of Saturn, was adopted by the Roman Church and given only the name of Christ or Christ Mass. This tendency on the part of Christians to meet paganism halfway was very early developed. He says that Christmas was originally pagan festival is beyond all doubt. Christmas is purely Babylonian. I don't have time to read the rest of this. I'm out of time, man. I might. Yeah. Well, let's pray. I hope this means something to you. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for all that you do and all that you are. Forgive us of our sin, Lord, and guide us in a way that we should go. Lord, we'll praise you for everything that you do because it's all your will. The sooner we can learn that, the better off we'll be as believers. Fight our battles. We don't want to fight anybody ever again. Any battles to be fought is yours. Thank you for truth. In Christ's name we pray, man. Well, I hope you can see that about Colossians 2. And Has anybody been offered those excuses? Like Colossians, the second chapter, and Romans, the 14th chapter. Do people even go that deep in the scriptures regarding Christmas? Huh? Does the normal religious person go that deep?
They don't do that. Most people don't know what he's talking about. It's very sad that we that we have to put up with all this, you know. We're not supposed to affect people. We will affect the elect and that's all. There's no need to get angry at people who can't hear. God did not give them ears to hear and He made them vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that's the majority of the world. Because the Bible says so. Nobody studies the pagan origins of Christmas that I know of. John MacArthur didn't study it. He just found out what it was about and then says, we're going to use this to serve God. You can't serve God with paganism. Art, how are you doing? You hanging in? Yes, sir. Well, that's all you can do is keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you, man. I really do. Yeah.